Hello, Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast, and this week is at Indie Talk Week, where me and Nick have a conversation about what we've experienced in the world of indie film over the past two weeks. Uh, Normally, I would have this uh, rollout uh, Friday afternoon, but we wanted to do some quality control on this particular episode, and it took a little longer uh, than we expected. So my apologies for the delay on this, but I do think the content is relevant and valuable. Our main topic this week is focused on how your goals for your film should influence your approach to distribution. We also touch on how making an excellent film is really just a series of really great choices and how uh, the aggregate of those choices kind of pay off in a great film outcome. And then sort of how those two topics uh, intermingle with one another uh, in the world of independent film. At the beginning of this conversation, we also talk about two films that I believe will be up for movie of the year. Uh, that is The Farewell, starring Aquafina, and then also Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So uh, enjoy this conversation between me and Nick. And of course, if you guys have any questions, you can reach out to us on social at underscore Bonsai Creative, or you can email us questions at contact at bonsai.film. So B-O-N-S-A-I dot F-I-L-M. Okay, that's it. Enjoy this conversation with me and Nick on this week's Indie Talk, and we'll talk again soon. You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley, and with me today is my good friend and Make It Podcast co-host, Nicholas Bugs. Hello, everybody. Chris here. With another installment of Indie Talk with me and my good buddy and co-founder at Bonza Creative, Nicholas Bugs. Nick, say hello. What's up, folks? We are back in action on this uh, alternate week in this alternate universe <laughs> we live in. <laughs> so, yeah, just happy to be back on the saddle uh, doing this with Chris. Back on the saddle. Wow. Yeah, graphic. man. <laughs> is it all is it back in the saddle or back on the saddle i don't know that's a good question because you want to you want to be I'd on be, you want to be on it i i think i want to be in it hey man that's it's all good whatever your preference is man you go for it <laughs> <laughs> is it when you're an alcoholic and you're like recovering are you on the wagon or off the wagon Oh, that's a good question. Or are you in the wagon is really the question you're asking. <laughs> if you're in the wagon, you're definitely not recovered like you're an alcoholic. So cause that's where right. all the liquor is. <laughs> it's in the wagon. <laughs> yes, we digress. We like digress. This, this distinction you're making between and that I'm making between on and in is so funny. Yes, it is. Because if you're in the wagon or on the wagon... I mean, I guess visually you could think of it differently, but it's kind of the same shit. I don't know. Yeah. So, so yeah, back on the saddle, back in the saddle. I'm um, tomato, tomato, whatever your preference is, bro. Yeah, absolutely. The 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 conversation uh, of the week around movies 
And this this episode will be short. We have a couple of things we're going to talk about today. Uh, the conversations of the week have been around these two films sort of releasing. The, one, The Farewell with Aquafina, And uh, the other one is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the Tarantino movie. So we'll talk about that really briefly. Then um, we'll go from there and get on to our main subject today, which is um, just your distribution approach. Uh, and then making and, and are you are you distributing with with an approach that is designed to make you money or are there other reasons you're approaching um, your distribution model uh, that you may not be aware of? You may not be being honest with yourself and your investors about. And we'll touch on that. And then, of course, um, every filmmaker wants to make a movie that's excellent and uh I think um, we we fool ourselves into thinking excellence is one or two things, but we're going to talk about what it really takes, uh, in our opinion, in our experience, to actually have a great end result, and that'll be it. So, um, I mentioned earlier about the farewell with Aquafina. Um, uh, that's a that's a great movie, um, and I didn't realize that she was so broad. Uh, and this is going to be very short because, Nick, you haven't seen either one of these, right? Nope, I haven't. All right. So let me tell you. The Farewell is the first time I heard about this story was two years ago, I think, on the podcast This American Life. And it talked about a story about a Chinese family and basically the Chinese and Eastern sort of cultural um philosophy, you know, sort of cultural uh, belief that that when someone is terminally ill, you shouldn't tell them. Right. So us in the West, we have a completely opposite approach, right? Like we tell them right away, then we try to fix it. Right. Um, That's kind of the that's kind of America. Do what you want and we'll fix it later. Right. Kind of kind of idea. Um, yeah, or just or just fix everything, right? Like we can't, you don't stand idly by. Everyone's part of the team to fix it. You know, it's the it's definitely a different approach. Yeah, exactly. And and so in this story, um, they don't tell this elderly woman that she has a you know terminal cancer, and the doctor has given her like three months to live. And this isn't a spoiler because you find this out in the first five minutes of the movie. Okay. And, um, the, what happens is, and this is the part that might be a spoiler. So cover your ears if you think it is, but I'm actually going to try not to give too much of it away. Um, the question that's laid out before the audience is, is how much of your, uh, of your health is in your, is in your mind. And the end result of not telling someone they have a terminal illness means they just go about their day every day like it's normal. They don't have the anxiety of being sick and, and, and having limited time. And what is the end result of that? And it's fascinating. And uh, this is one of the movies, like I said, that can make you laugh and cry at the same time. That's pretty rare. And, uh, you know, if you thought Aquafina just did like the kind of comedy you saw in, in Crazy Rich Asians, uh, no, 
she she has some range. She has some ability. She has some there's a there's a stillness to her that I, I really like. And it's a really it's a really funny movie. The grandma in this movie is unbelievably funny. And uh, it's it's definitely worth worth watching. And it has a great ending. Um, and so, Nick, I would say I think you will like that movie more than Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, just just so you know, I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for you will, will feel very, very long for you. It's almost three hours. It's a long movie. It is. It is. And our good friend game long. Yeah, yeah. Uh, our, our good friends over at um, at uh, uh, what's, what's the uh, what's Joey Bags and West Powers podcast called where they review movies. They they gave I'm forgetting the name of it. I can't believe it. But they gave this movie a two point five stars out of five. At least West did. West Powers. Oh wow. And I disagree with West. It'll it should be nominated for movie of the year. It's just not for everybody, and that's classic Tarantino, right? Um, I, matter of fact, there are no females in my family that like and can tolerate a Quentin Tarantino film. None. I, I did the survey myself over this week. Nobody like <laughs> like Pulp Fiction kind of sticks out for some of them, but outside of that, they'll pass on every film he's ever done. Mm. Yeah, because it's it's just it's it's people talking. It's like a, a great deal of exposition. Like it's the complaint people have about um, uh, Better Call Saul, where it's like glacial paced, but you're supposed to sort of really dig in and, and be in love with the nuance, you know. But people can't do that. Like like we're in a like people have an attention span of like eight seconds. Right. Yeah, I think it might be lower than that now, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, like like the we don't know the, like the latest data. <laughs> right. Statistically, I think it keeps dropping, man. It was like seven seconds last I heard, and I think your eight seconds is like what do they say? Like the attention span of a fruit fly is eight seconds, and ours is below that. Yeah. Do you know how to test this? Like, like here's the thing: get your family together with your kids and play a card game, and see if your kids can act. Don't have any rules. Just see how long it takes them to pick their phone back up and check for notifications. It is literally what Cal Newman talks about. It is like a it is a slot machine for your mind in, in your hand, in your life. Like that slot machine effect of I'll pull the handle and see if I get all cherries this time is so real. Because I, I just talking about attention span, like I did that the other night. We were playing Uno. And my kids couldn't not be on their phone. And we call them out on it and make them sort of embarrassed. So they put their phone down, but then they'd be right back. And they're just mm-hmm. like, they're in conversations. They're in people's DMs. They're like checking reactions on Snap. Like they're checking to see if they got liked on this latest picture. And then when they're not doing that stuff, they're actually trying to create content for all their followers. So at the table eating this, at the table playing Uno, ooh. Um, like, <laughs> like, I meant they got the little Michael Jackson ooh at the end of that one. Yeah, yeah, like all these, like, like all these things that people don't give a fuck about. Like, I well, they must because we they because, must exactly because They're they doing keep doing it, it. liking it. Yeah, yep. I don't care. Culture. You yep. send me a picture of a turkey sandwich. 
I'm going to put a poop emoji on it. That's, <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be my response. So, so anyway, back to the Tarantino movie. The last 20 minutes, you will never see anything like it. Um, for better or for worse, and I really mean that. Uh, there are there the thing I let a couple of days go by before I thought about how to review this. That you, you when you're watching it, you get a sense of history and that, and I love that. That's what I love. I'm not there to look at my watch. How long have we been sitting here? How long have we been sitting here? Like I don't care about that part. You already got me with my ticket price. So I'm watching for the. I'm watching for the story, right? Like I'm, I'm, I, you got me now. It's not like I go to a play and say, "Dan, this Les Misérables is like a really long play." Like, no, I, I get it, right? So I don't care about that stuff. Like I'm watching it, and I'm like, man, like I left there and tried to verify stuff that happened in that movie, and like ninety percent of it is true. And I'm like, okay, that makes it so much more appealing already. Than, than it would have been. And I just thought it was so cool because I'm so interested in old Hollywood anyway and sort of how things happen. And the way that they merge, basically, um, uh, Hollywood storytelling with people who are around at the time combined with the Manson family is, to me, brilliant because you're sitting there waiting and you realize it's long, Right. You're waiting for how all these characters, you're waiting for how this giant ensemble are going to merge and crash together for either the best or worst possible outcome, right? And you kind of know, because you go into the movie knowing what it's about, you kind of know it's going to merge in the worst possible way. And, and, and he makes you... He makes you wait for it. <laughs> so that, like I said, I don't care, but if I had to give it Docket points, I'd say it's they could have taken 25 minutes off the movie and maybe nothing changes. But um, these two movies came out. I think they're both going to be up for movie of the year. That's why I wanted to mention them on the cast on the Indie Talk today. So, Nick, do you plan on watching either The Farewell or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yeah, I'll probably watch both of them. Um, I'm very interested in the portrayals of you know, what is being deemed as history of Hollywood. And then, you know, to your point, seeing how they were able to, not even they were able to, but I guess their interpretation of how that history led into what you're calling the last 20 minutes of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I'm, I'm basically assuming that the last 20 minutes is probably the story that's been told, I but do. you didn't know about the background, right? You didn't know how all of these things fit together that led to this last 20 minutes. And, you know, I think that's, that's what they did. That's what I'm assuming they did with this movie. It's like, no, 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 no. Let's, let's take some of the, the headline stuff out. It's not just about the headline stuff, the stuff that you read about when you do a quick search for this stuff. There's a lot, there was a lot more going on that brought everyone together for this event. Right. Like that. So I think that's that's interesting. And I also want to see, you know, of course, I've heard my boy Bruce is in that movie, at least portrayed in the movie. So, (laughs) well, tell everybody you're you're a Bruce Lee obsessive, correct? I'm just a big fan, dude. I can't say I'm obsessed, but I'm a big fan. I'm not well, a fan. You don't obsess, right? right? Like that's not something you do. It's not something I do. But it's as close as possible, right? Yeah. So, you know, I'm very much I've always very much impressed by. Um, the way he presents himself, but also kind of like there has been a little bit of a dichotomy with him. Uh, I know that when he was younger, you know, he was a 
bit of, I think, what this movie is trying to portray, a bit of a braggart, especially when he learned that he could, you know, he could whoop somebody's ass, mm-hmm. you know, and he had, especially because I think he was a little bit smaller and some of the other bigger kids would pick on him and, you know, he would handle up. So he would, he would get into a lot of fights. And I, I think also people would pick fights with him knowing that he was Bruce Lee, right? Like, right. I can take you. And he was like, fine. You know, he's not, you know, he could be Hollywood or whatever, but if someone's going to pick a fight with him, he's going to take it because he's going to prove that his art, his skill, his training, you know, is better than anybody. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, again, I've just read a couple of things about, you know, the portrayal of him in this movie and, you know, some of maybe the people closest to him don't necessarily believe that that's the best portrayal of him potentially at that time in his life. So I'm very curious to see how they portrayed him. Uh, and then I'm very curious to see what his family and friends and other folks come out to say regarding that portrayal. So, you know, that could be the case with a lot of different people who are portrayed in the film. Mm-hmm. So I think there, since, like you said, I mean, you said historical relevance or uh, the facts of the history that they're presenting, that might all be called into question over the next couple of weeks, couple of months. And I think that'll be interesting to uh, to actually have seen the movie to uh, so maybe justify for myself or at least have a basis for understanding what the whole conversation is about. So I definitely want to see that one. Um, and then The Farewell, I think the premise is, is very interesting. I think the view into the Chinese culture uh, will be very interesting. I think there's there's a lot there. I mean, my, my son is in Kung Fu and, you know, we talk about the Chinese culture and how, you know, the Chinese do – almost everything in my opinion, the way I say it is they do everything on purpose, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like they're not just thinking about the now, but you're thinking about the future. You're talking, thinking about future generations. I mean, you're thinking about every way that this conversation or this action could go and they've created tradition around what's the best case for the future, right? Whereas the the sneakiest thing about this movie is that, it, it lays out this question of Western medicine versus Eastern medicine. Eastern medicine wants to be Western medicine. Western people are intrigued by Eastern methodologies. Yeah, but I think, you know, for when I think about the medicine part of it, let's just talk about the cultural part of it. Um, I think there's a, a culture in, in Western, um, in the Western world about fixing Mm-hmm. Uh, where I see in the Eastern world, it's about not necessarily prevention because they're not trying to prevent, they're trying to prolong, right? So it's like, let's create traditions, culture, and all this stuff that um, gives us the best mental, spiritual, and physical strength, mm-hmm. right? So some of the short term, right? That's a fix. A fix is a short term thing for something you broke. Or some of the short-term desires that we might have for, let's say, for food or for drink or for things, you know, where that is maybe more the core of a culture of a, the, the Western society. It's not necessarily the core of the traditions of the Eastern society. So that's kind of how I'm very interested to see how all that is portrayed in the film and how those that, that culture uh, not only just differs from what, uh, you know, Western or even American culture might be, but you know, how it works for them or where it doesn't work, you know, where does it falter? It is, I think it's going to be very interesting. So yeah, I I definitely want to see it. And I think that, you know, between the two, my wife is more likely to watch the farewell with me than she would once upon a time in Hollywood. There's no question. 
<laughs> it was like, don't even, like, don't even, don't even stress yourself about that. Like, no, I'm not, I'm not. Like, so, yeah, no. the second one will cause her to dislike you. <laughs> uh, because I'm just, and you'll see what I mean. So, Man yeah. said, hide your kids, hide your wife. Don't. Yeah. Once upon a time in Hollywood is not the place to go. It's not a not a date movie. Gotcha. It's, it's not our our wonderful film. Other versions of you that uh, the lovely Maki Depp directed and wrote. So that's the to me that's the that's the date movie right there. Yeah, um, buddy. So on to our main topic today. I know Nick, you had this thought in your mind about. When, as independent filmmakers, when we make a movie, what are our expectations? What are, what goals are we seeking to achieve when we reach out and go for distribution? Um, and I think that um, you providing some clarity on, you know, if your goal is to be an outlier, okay, here's one path. But if your goal is to actually make money and maybe make your investors' money back and make another movie, uh, Indie filmmakers, for the most part, in our experience, have it all wrong. So, um, tell us, Nick, <laughs> what 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 have you experienced, and what what have you noticed um, that that we can start changing uh, today? Yeah, well, I've, I've noticed kind of a broad spectrum when talking to indie filmmakers with respect to both the investment side. Let's talk about the the beginning and the end. Um, so the spectrum of you've got at the beginning, you've got people trying to get investment money to make a film at the end, you've got independent filmmakers trying to sell or at least get their film distributed. And, you know, what it always comes back to is, you know, what their goals are for the film that will define the strategy all the way from financing through distribution. And when folks come talk to us, it's like they haven't mapped their goals with ours mm-hmm. or their that's as very, investors. That's very interesting. I like right, that. Yep. Right. As investors or, I would say, nor have they mapped their goals with the goals of the distributors. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, someone comes and says, hey, I'm making a $10,000 film. Will you invest? You know, I've said it straight up. I'm like, that's not an investment, right? I don't, I don't see how this ten thousand dollar film that you're going to ask me to put whatever into it, like how you're going to make my money back in a fashion that makes sense to me as an investor. It's a donation. Exactly. That's the exact term that I've used. Like you're asking me for a donation. Okay, right. so that's different. So now, if you're asking me to donate, what am I donating to? Like, what do I get? out of this. Yeah. Right. Am I getting that you're going to go to a film festival with this film? And then because I have a film in the film festival, that's something that I would be interested in going to. Well, if your film film festival is, I'm sorry, I just call it Bumblefuck film festival and Bumblefuck bumble. Mm-hmm. I'm not interested in that. That's not, that's not going to do anything for me. So now I've put this right. money in. For this film and I'm going to go to Bumble for the Bumble Festival. No, that that doesn't align with my goals as an investor. So I think that's on the front end. It's like you kind of have to align. You know, what are your goals? 
with the goals of the people that you're trying to get money from. So on the lower budget films, and that's just 10,000, but maybe the same is true for a $100,000 film. Maybe the same is true for a 200000 or $300,000 film that the return just isn't there for an investor, the financial return. Right. So as you're talking to them, you have to figure out what return you can actually achieve that is going to be is going to make sense for your investor. And, you know, we, when we were at Filmcom, we had talked about, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And right. you look at that, you know, that <laughs> that pyramid, if you will, and you can kind of kind of go up the list. And for a small film. Will you, you remind know, the listeners what uh, what are the levels of Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Yeah. And if you look at, so if you look at Maslow, basically the, what it's talking about is what we need as human beings. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the first thing that you see on, on, on the pyramid is you're going to see basically your physical well-being. you know, you need to be able to survive. So you have your, you have your physiological, so that's going to be, you know, your food, water, you know, sustenance, your safety, is going to be, you know, safety and security, things that keep you safe. It could be your physical home. It actually could be the money that you need in order to pay for your home. Uh, then the next level up is love and belonging. So being part of a community, uh, sharing love between individuals. Uh, the next one up is self-esteem. Uh, and then the one on top of that is self-actualization. So at the top is basically, you know, finding the meaning of life, you know, right. finding your purpose in the world. Um, and it's not like it's, you know, each of these things is mutually exclusive in that you have one, you don't need the others. As you go up this chain, you need all of them. Uh, but it's getting to a point where it's like, okay, if your basic physical needs are taken care of, what is the next thing that you're looking for? And on that triangle or that pyramid, I kind of look at these films that are, let's say below 500,000. And I say below 500,000, because you may not have any, you know, uh, significant bankable cast in a film that's going to bring a large audience. Uh, but you've got a, let's say you've got a great story. You've got a great team. You're putting something together. Uh, I think a lot of times you're going to be at that kind of love and belonging and potentially even the esteem part of it. Uh, but as investors, you know, who are looking to make money back, it really gets into that safety and security uh, section there because safety and security has to do with that money. Mm -hmm. You know, basically, if I'm going to give you money, I need some sort of confidence, right? That's the security factor in knowing that I'm going to get another two, three, four, probably I'm looking for 10x on that amount of money. Right. And I feel That's like... That's where it gets interesting, at least. Yeah. And I feel like some of these uh, smaller films are really more in, like I said, the esteem or the the love, uh, belonging, community aspect where it's like, yeah, we're doing a small, you know, low budget film. So now you want me to be in the low budget film community, right? Like you, you want me to be an advocate of right. that community. I may not be. Why should I be? Have you explained that to me? That's your goal. But I don't maybe I don't care anything about low budget or independent filmmaking. And what I want is return on my investment. Mm -hmm. Right. So right there as a distributor, right, that's what they're looking, the larger ones, the ones that you are most interested in pursuing, that's what they want. They want to return on investment. They don't want to just support indie filmmaking. A24 is to me one of those examples. You know, they're making three to five million dollar, you know, budget films and maybe even more. But the deal is, is that they're doing that because they know they can make a return on investment. So they support 
your quote indie, but three to five million dollar films, knowing that they can 10x or maybe even 20x one of their big ones, mm-hmm. right? But 10xing your three hundred thousand dollar film that actually doesn't have a marketing budget and no big stars, that dog don't hunt, right? right. Your goals don't align with their goals. So that's yeah, kind of and, where, and, where I'm at. And, and, and having them understand, having independent filmmakers as, as creatives, we all have to understand that there's, um, you know, it's, it's so, it's, it's said so many times, it's almost tried at this point, but there is, so you're making the art, but then there's this business side and the business side is there's nuances to it. There's, there's a tug of war that's always happening between uh, perceived value and actual value between price and price surplus. And there's these little technical ideas out there, right? So the thing is, is your buyer is going to make a deal with you based on what they think the, they can get back by selling and exploiting your film in the marketplace, right? So one, it's important to know what your film is worth. Well, Bonsai can help with that, but that's maybe for another conversation. Maybe it's for this one, but knowing what your movie is actually worth in the marketplace in real time is super duper valuable, right? Gives you leverage that you wouldn't have otherwise. Having a marketing budget gives you leverage you wouldn't have otherwise. Um, Having a brand that's distinct and people can see it, that's, it gives you leverage you wouldn't have otherwise. So anyway, when a buyer gets the movie, then they're going to go out and they have to enter into a whole new negotiation with platforms, usually, especially if you're going straight to VOD, you're not doing any theatrical. But but even if you're doing theatrical, there has to be a negotiation with the big box theater or a set of regional theaters that's going to run your film for a certain amount of time. And now your money, and this is the part where I think there's such a disconnection that that we don't even think about it as creatives, right? Your money and your ability to get it is tied to how good your buyers, negotiators, and salespeople are, <laughs> right? It's this idea of like, how do you know how good their employees are, right? So their employees will go out to the market and try to negotiate flat fees and, and profit splits, profit shares, um, stream amounts, uh, platform buys for your movie all across the world. And that's how the movie makes its money back. However, the people that are buying from your buyer also have the same problem. Their employees have to go out, negotiate with your buyer. And there's a tug of war based on, okay, if we, if we give this movie $30,000 up front to stream for three months, will this provide enough streams to give us $30,000 in new subscribers? So that might be one equation, for example. And I think that understanding that at, 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 in pre-production is really important. And it kind of ties into the, to the other thing we want to talk about, the last thing we want to talk about uh, in this conversation, which is in pre-production, that's where you kind of start to make an excellent film that's going to make everybody's money back and launch your career and have you working over and over and over. It starts at the very beginning where you say, what is the brand of this film? Uh, who are the strategic partners? Who would be this film's advocate? Can we engage with them early before the movie's even made? Can we get sponsorship or money for uh, from them for this film in advance? Um, 
where it's not necessarily a 100% investor model. Um, and you go along that line on into casting. Okay. I've said this a hundred times. The star system is dead. You heard Nick say earlier, bankable cast. That's different, right? A star is, there's like only 10 of them. <laughs> there's, there's literally 10 of them. Everyone else is just bankable cast, right? The rock is a star, right? Um, Ellen page is bankable cast. She's always my favorite uh, to, yeah. to bring up. Um, because she fits a little niche perfectly, but there are other, but there are others like that. And that's the whole point. So you make those casting decisions and each decision, each choice you make has to be optimal because every time you make a choice, the, the, the culmination of all your choices equals some end result the same way. Like someone, someone goes to the dentist and the dentist says, you have gingivitis (laughs) It's really hard for the person with gingivitis to point to the moment they got it. <laughs> like, what, what was the snack I ate? What was the one night I didn't brush my teeth after eating chocolate that caused this? Well, there wasn't one night. It was that you did it every night for 10 years, right? These choices become habits and, and so on and so forth. So as you go through the process, you'll find yourself locked in to the choices you made before, which will hurt your film, right? We made a decision to have these people in these parts. Well, now you're, you're stuck. We made a decision. We're going to have this budget and this budget only. Well, now you're locked into that choice, right? Cause, cause the more choices you stack on top of that decision, the, the more, the less and less you're able to actually change the decisions from before without blowing your whole production up. So it's critical that you really think about it. Um, you start getting, start settling on locations. I can't tell you how important location decisions are to the outcome and look of your film. You can like make your film look like it was made for $5 million just by working a little bit harder on locations and having a good art uh, design and director. You see what I mean, Nick? So those things all equal making money by the time you get to the end of your film. Yeah. And for me, like I said, it's just making sure that you're able to translate your goals into the goals of those that are going to invest in or sell your product. Uh, Because, you know, Chris, you mentioned the buyers and the sellers and all these people at the tail end. You know, ultimately, they're not your advocates. Okay, ultimately, they're advocates for them for themselves. So what they want is they want the highest probability of a win. Mm -hmm. So. Per, you know, to what you were saying about cast, you know, if you're putting your friends in your film to give them an opportunity, that might be best for a film with the goal of learning, you know, of, of making something together, of building a team, of building a network. But if your friends aren't bankable, then that goal of making money or finding distribution is not in alignment with the choices that you made for your casting. So, again, if you're making the choice, the goal up front is to get distribution and get distribution on one of the better known or um, the higher rated uh, platforms or distributors, then you need to make sure that you seek out the right cast for your film, that you seek out the right DP, you seek out the right, you know, um, soundtrack and all these things like these things are going to make the distributors, the, the sellers, is going to make their lives easier. If you make their lives difficult, 
right? If you make them have to say, hey, look, this story is one of the best ever. Well, everyone's going to have to watch your film first to know that. And not every sales transaction is made off of someone having seen the film, right? Those transactions are often made by the bankable cast, the director, the writer, uh, these types of things. So, yeah, you just you got to align your goals. And the same thing is on the front end, like I mentioned about the investors, you have to align what it is you're doing with the interests of the investors. So, again, to what Chris was saying about getting your advocates, you know, if you can get advocates to come in and help sponsor different parts of your marketing engagement with the community, well, you're going to get those advocates because some part of your film, some element of your story aligns with their goals. It could be a philanthropic goal. It could be a personal goal. It could be an emotional community goal, whatever it is. Again, it's making sure that whatever you're doing, your goals are for your film, uh, that those align with the goals of your investors on the front end and then the distributors, buyers and sellers on the back end. And then I'll just say this to kind of conclude that is that if you're thinking about those two, then you should also be thinking about how your goals align with your team and how your goals align with the folks that you're bringing into your cast. Uh, because as Chris and I have mentioned before on this podcast, we've mentioned to our friends in film, one of our first principles is no mercenaries. No mercenaries. Right? Yep. So when we, our goals for our film is to have, you know, a team, a collaborative team that will carry this film throughout its production cycle um, into sales and distribution. So because that is a goal of ours, we're going to make sure that all the people that we bring into the project are aligned with that goal. No mercenaries. So again, goals at the front with the investors, goals at the end with the distributors and buyers, and right in the middle, you've got your goals with your team and the attachments you have with your film. Exactly. And uh, that is that is a wonderful uh, summation um, there, Nick. And, and for those uh, listening, might have heard some barking in the background. Those are my dogs uh, <laughs> barking. So please uh, forgive that. Audio Veritas here, as we always say, you know, my dogs are like uh, family members. So whenever they want to speak to me, they just speak. The only problem is when they speak, it sounds like a bark. <laughs> I mean, that's what it sounds like. It's not what it yeah, is. It's not what it is. But that's, like, right, right, that's what it sounds like <laughs> to the untrained ear. <laughs> to the untrained ear. Yes, the dogs are here. They're allowed to be. Uh, around me and in the studio space because they bring me uh, good mojo. So anyhow, Nick, this was fun. Yeah, I, yeah, it was, I enjoyed as always. it. Please watch those two films. Let me know what you think. Maybe we talk about it uh, on the intro of the next Indie Talk. Cool, and uh, until then, man, I'll talk to you soon. And everyone out there, have fun uh, making films and uh, make your life an adventure. One life, do something fun, do something important. And uh, we'll be back together uh, two Fridays from now. And next week, we'll have another interview for you guys. All right? Yeah, it's awesome stuff. Always having fun. Always doing our best to uh, give back to the community. And as you guys know, our goals are always aligning with your goals. And uh, if we ever misstep or misalign or there's something else that you guys want us to talk about or discuss, 
Hey, you can reach out to us on uh, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We're all out there. Always through our website if you want to. But you can catch us on uh, comments on IG. And if you want, you can slide into the DMs. So, uh, you <laughs> maybe, know. Just... Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. That's maybe, it. Right? That's it. Yeah, that's at underscore Bonsai Creative on all platforms. So there you go. And on Facebook, you can just search Bonsai Creative and get at us. Ask us questions at contact at bonsai.film and we'll get right back to you there as well. So, Nick, thank you, buddy. Yeah, man. Always you take it easy. Have a great uh, rest of the day and an awesome weekend. You too, man. Talk soon. All right. Bye. All right. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find out more information on this week's creative, including links to their projects and social media feeds, please visit our website at www.bonsai.film forward slash make it. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative. If you do that, the show will pop right up. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step toward your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Show Me How to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.